Well, my question to you guys before I start today is, have you brought a lunch with you today? Did y'all pack a lunch to come to church? Because you're standing, or I'm standing before some, a group of people, and I haven't spoken to people in person for over 13 weeks. So, um, so I cannot make any promises that I'm going to get you out of here on a reasonable time frame. In fact, I'm not wearing a watch. I've taken all the clocks out. We've installed a calendar in the back just so I will know <laughs> that it's still Sunday so we can get you guys out of here appropriate. I, I'm, I'm just joking. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure about that. But welcome back. Welcome back. What a season it has been. It has certainly been a season, but I've been reminded in this season that God has shown up and God has showed off in this season. And God has reminded us of his goodness and of his mercy. And I'm so thankful that we get to be a part of being back together today for the first time in person. For this summer, we're going to set our sights on this incredible study called Life on Purpose. And what we're going to do starting today is we're going to be looking at this character in the Bible named Saul, who eventually becomes Paul. And this summer series is all about how we live a life on purpose about living with intentionality, about our life having meaning that's far greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Because, see, before the beginning of time, and maybe this is new news to some of you, before the beginning of time, God had a purpose for you. In fact, Scripture says that so, proclaims that so boldly and so beautifully, that God had a plan for you before you were ever born. And so our goal is to seek and find what that is. I've often heard it said, this is not original to me, but I've often heard it said that life is really about the dash. You guys ever heard that statement? That you have a time that you're born and you have a time that you die. And those are two dates that kind of go down in history on a tombstone or whatever the case might be. But it's really that dash that matters. It's what do I do in between being born and between God uh, my day ceasing to exist, it's that moment that matters. And if you've ever wondered, how do I live on purpose with, with intentionality to really make the most of the time that God has given me, then I believe you're in the right place today. And I would encourage you to stay connected with us all summer as a result of that. Maybe this has happened to you before, but have you ever had a moment in your life where you just kind of feel like a cog in a big old machine? You just kind of feel like you're a little widget and you're just, you're just, just kind of putting in the motions and, and going through life, and you got to think to yourself, is there more? Maybe this has happened to you. I know that it certainly has me, where at night you're getting ready to go to bed, and you're brushing your teeth, and you finish brushing your teeth, and you have that little cup, you know, that your toothbrush goes in, and you catch a, self, a glance of yourself in the mirror, and in some form or fashion, you kind of look at yourself in the mirror, and you say, is this it? Like, is this is this really all that life is about? I look at where I am and, and I'm wondering, is, is this really it? Or is there something more for me? Chances are over the past three months, you've probably had some of those moments. I know that I have. If you haven't had any of those moments over the past three months, then one thing has happened. You've been hibernating for three months or you figured out something that I haven't figured out yet in life. Because this three months has provided us some moments to probably very introspectively say, God, is this it? What have you created me for? What have you prepared me for? See, God has made it so clear in his word that he has a purpose for us. And so I want us to dig in today into this first snapshot in the life of this guy named Saul, who eventually is going to become Paul, to see what God says. Now, I'm going to give you full disclosure. I try my best to get Saul and Paul to use them appropriately because Saul is the pre-conversion moment of Paul. But if I say Paul, just know I'm talking about the same guy, okay? So don't give me weird looks out there. If I say Saul, Paul, I'm talking about the same guy. But particularly today, we're going to be looking at this snapshot of Saul's life. And so I want to encourage you to join me in praying 
as we open up God's word to see what it is that God says about living a life on purpose, because I truly believe that when we find that, we will experience the richness and the fullness of life that is found in him and him alone. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together in your presence. I pray that you would go before us today, that you would prepare our hearts for your word, and that these words today uh, from the scripture, these words today that are shared in this place, that the Holy Spirit would use them. Lord, to come and to penetrate our lives and to remind us that you are for us and that you have an incredible plan for our lives. I'm so grateful for those who have assembled here together today. I'm thankful for those who are watching online. I'm thankful for all of the churches here in the community that are seeking to proclaim the name of Jesus today. And I pray that you would be honored and that you would be high and lifted up in this place today. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. And amen. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open to the book of Acts. If you have that mobile device or if you have an app, you can hop on there and follow along with us in Acts chapter 9. These words are also going to be up here on the screen for you, but I'm going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. It's the whole text that we're looking at today, and I want you to hear the whole story about what happens here in Saul's conversion. So starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Paul, he, Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, this story reminds us right out of the gate that God's primary purpose for you is to have a relationship with you. In fact, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to hang on just a moment because there's some, some amazing truth here. Because see, Saul is going to do some really incredible things 
for Jesus. But you see this first snapshot when he has this incredible transformation with Jesus, where he meets Jesus like a blinding light on the road to Damascus. Now, by way of background for Saul, Saul was Jewish. Saul was extremely knowledgeable. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was incredibly well-versed in Old Testament law. Saul is also on the front lines of trying to stop the message of Christianity from spreading. We're told in Acts chapter 7 that Saul is one of the people who's helped holding the cloaks as the apostle Stephen, Stephen, one of the first followers of Jesus, as he is martyred. And so he is present there in that moment. And we pick up in verses 1 and 2 and realize that Saul is now on his way, breathing out murderous threats to try to stop the message of the gospel. He has papers in hand to take to Damascus to find anybody who's seeking to follow Jesus to bring them back as a prisoner. This is not exactly who you would call the poster child for somebody that God is going to use significantly. I kind of think about if Saul showed up in one of our ministries, if he showed up for a job interview here, or if he said, you know what, I want to lead one of the ministry teams at Rolling Hills, and we were to say, okay, Saul, tell me about your relationship with God, and he says, well, I'm here to kill everyone. I'm here to stop the message of the gospel. See, some red flags are going to go up in our mind, and obviously they did here as well. And so on this journey, verses 3 through 6, he's on his way to fulfill this mission. He doesn't have a God-given mission yet, but he has a personal mission, and it's very evil. And upon, upon trying to fulfill this mission, this light falls from heaven, and this voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you? Saul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. If you've ever wondered what Jesus thinks about the church, let this clear it up for you. If you've ever wondered, does Jesus really care about the way? He absolutely does. See, the church is the institution that God has set in motion to change the world. And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, this is Jesus and you're persecuting my people. He doesn't say, this is Jesus and you're persecuting the people in Damascus. He says, no, this is Jesus and you are persecuting me. You're trying to stop my message. You're trying to persecute my followers. And as a result of that, you are persecuting me, which serves as a great reminder for us this morning. And you see this there on the app and you'll see it here on the screens. When you persecute the flock, you persecute the shepherd. When you persecute the flock, you persecute the shepherd. See, you and I live in a world where sometimes people like to separate the church from Jesus. And I hear this all the time. I hear people say this very frequently, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church. And why they are probably saying that is because they've had some bad experience with church. And what have they probably seen lived out? Unfortunately, hypocrisy. Or they've seen a lack of love, or they've seen a lack of grace, or a lack of mercy, and they cannot grapple with what do I do with what I've seen in church with what I've heard Jesus say. And that is very important to Jesus that we live according to his teachings and according to his message. Sometimes I hear people say, I really like Jesus, but I don't need the church. Well, see, this is one of the clearest examples in scripture of Jesus's connection to his flock. And when he says, when you mess with them, you're messing with me. When you persecute them, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Now, I often make this as a joke, but it's entirely true. It's entirely true. You know, I'm a, a pretty thick-skinned person. I am, by design, a people pleaser, so I want to please everybody. I don't like criticism, but, you know, if you, if you have it, I'm willing to take it, and I can deal with it. And 
and not let it give me completely, you know, completely knock me off kilter. However, there are three people in my life that if you really want to get under my skin, you criticize them. And person one is Jacqueline Hale, my wife who's sitting here. Person two is Evie June Hale, my seven-year-old daughter, and almost seven-year-old daughter, and my son, J.D. Hale, who is two. If you really want to get under my skin, you persecute them. You criticize them, we're going to have some words. You criticize me, I can take it. You mess with them, you're messing with the wrong person. Because, see, and that's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's trying to say, when you persecute the flock, you are persecuting me. When you hurt the flock, Saul, you are hurting me. Now, see, it's not only negative, though, because the scripture is also filled with so many examples where Jesus says, when you love the flock, you love me. And when you serve the flock, you serve me. When you stand in the gap for those who are in need in my flock, what are you doing? You're serving me. When you give a cold cup of water to someone in need, when you serve the homeless, when you stand up for inequality, what are you doing? You're not just serving those around you. Jesus says, you're honoring me, and you're pleasing me in the midst of that. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Give us a clear picture of this. This is Jesus speaking. Then the king will say to those who are on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? And invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you. When did we see you sick, or in prison, and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. How cool is that? Because it's the positive spin on what Jesus was telling Saul. He says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. To his disciples, he was also saying, when you serve the least, and the last, and the broken, you are also serving me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, just in case you need another example of this. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved to compassion. That Greek word for compassion isn't just an action or an attitude, but it's a verb. It's saying that Jesus was moved to compassion when he saw his flock harassed and helpless. When he saw people in this world in need of his love, he didn't just stand by idly, but he did something about it. He moved and he acted. See, Jesus cares about how we treat people. This is not a political agenda. This is not a a, a social agenda. This is a biblical agenda. See, Jesus cares so deeply about how we treat people. When we uh, treat people poorly, Jesus takes offense to that. When we do not give people the basic human dignity that was granted to them, not by us, but by him, he says, I take affront with that. See, Jesus is outraged by hatefulness. Jesus is outraged by things like racism. Jesus is outraged by white supremacy. And I should be too, and I am. And you should be too. And I pray that you are. And it was so significant because what Jesus had done is he had called Saul to go 
be a light to the Gentiles. Did you catch that? He called Saul to go be a light to a group of people that were different. This was so earth-shattering. It's so hard for us to fathom this because we didn't live in the first century. But the fact that Jesus was making a way for all men to come to know him, and Saul is the catalyst for that. He says, I'm calling you to go be a light to people that have up to this point not had a place at the table. And he was calling Saul to bring that light. So if you don't think that Jesus cares about the needs of the broken and the disadvantaged and those who are systematically mistreated, then I encourage you to dig into these 66 books of the Bible. Because it is right here that Jesus cares so deeply. And he says to Saul, you are persecuting me. And what happens as a result of that, verses 8 and 9, Saul has this blinding encounter this blinding encounter with the light of Jesus, and he couldn't see for three days. And what did he do? He sat in darkness for three days. And I don't necessarily like my next point because it's one that makes me somewhat uncomfortable, per se, but it's certainly biblical, and you see it here, is that darkness may be the only way that we truly ever see the light. Maybe you've encountered that in your own life, that darkness may be the only way that you truly ever see the light. Because, see, had Jesus not struck down Saul and completely stopped him, Saul would have undoubtedly continued right on with his evil mission. And there's so many biblical accounts of this. I think about Jonah, for example. And isn't it amazing? I'm a parent, and our kids' favorite Bible story in their little storybook Bible is the story of Jonah. But this is an intense story. It cracks me up that this is the story that kids latch on to as, like, their favorite Bible story. But when I read it as an adult, I'm like, that's a pretty hardcore story. Because Jonah was given a mission to go to Nineveh. And instead of being obedient to that mission, he decided that he wanted to take matters into his own hands, and he boards a ship heading in the completely different direction. And as a result of that, a storm comes up on the ship. He says to all the sailors, I think I'm the reason that the storm is here, so maybe you should throw me overboard. Okay, great. So they threw him overboard, and then he ends up in the belly of a big fish for three days, darkness, and as a result of that, gets spit up on dry land, and then eventually ends up going to Nineveh. It was only in darkness that he saw the light. I think about the story of Job. Job is not necessarily a character who was being disobedient, but he's a character that certainly had some challenges. He goes into this season of darkness. What happens in Job's life? He loses his family. He loses his livestock. He loses his livelihood. Scripture tells us that he gets a really terrible case of boils from the head, top of his head, all the way down to the sole of his feet. If you don't know what a boil is, Google it later. Not something that you want all over your body. Everybody around Job says, you should curse God and die. But what's recorded in Job 13, 15? Job says, though he slay me, I will still praise him. Though he slay me. Though who slays me? Me. Though he is taking me through this season of darkness, I will still place my hope in him. See, sometimes it's in darkness that we see clearer than ever. You better believe that Paul was doing some soul searching and some thinking and some introspection in this moment of darkness. This season that you and I are living in may have very well been that for you. I can see you've experienced some loss in this season. You have experienced a lot that has been taken from you. In fact, for the past three months, the entire world has been given a hard reset. And we have all had to figure out ways to pivot. Are you tired of the word pivot? I am. It's the word of the pandemic, isn't it? You know, we're all pivoting all the time. Every business has pivoted. Every ministry has pivoted. Every, you know, entertainment complex has pivoted. 
But don't you think that it's possible that during this season of maybe some darkness in your life, that God has been trying to get your attention about something? Let me go ahead and answer that question for you. He has been. Now, I don't know what it is particularly for you. I don't know what it is specifically for you and your family, but I am sure there is something, that there is something that God has been trying to teach us in this moment if we will just simply stop and not rush back to life as normal, but to say, God, what are you trying to teach me about you in this season of darkness? What are you trying to show me about yourself in this season of darkness? Because, see, for Saul, this season of darkness pushed him towards the light of Jesus. And maybe it has happened for you as well. It's not uncommon at all in this world for the most significant reason that people take steps of faith in Jesus is because of some darkness in their life. And so if you're going through a season of difficulty or a season of turmoil or maybe a season that you would even refer to as darkness, perhaps you would allow today for the first time and then you would posture yourself today for the first time to say, God, why are you taking me through this season of darkness and what do you want to teach me about you in the midst of this? Because I know that you are here with me and I know that you are for me. But God also is at work in those around us and God is at work in the mission and the purpose that he has that he seeks to give us. Go on with me in verse 10, because God also had a purpose for Ananias. Look at what happens. In Damascus, verse 10, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. See, Jesus made it so abundantly clear to Ananias, you are to go and to point Paul, Saul, back to me. In fact, he says, I want you to go to Judas. I want you to go to Straight Street. There's a man from Tarsus named Saul who had a blinding encounter with me, and he received a vision that somebody named Ananias was going to come to him and place his hands upon him and show him about the light of Jesus. So here's a map. Here's where you need to go. Here's who you're looking for. And oh, by the way, he received a vision that someone named Ananias was going to come, and Ananias starts going, me, Ananias? Like, this is the Ananias? Jesus, that you're calling to go. I'm the one that you're asking to go. And Ananias starts looking around because he says, see, I've heard about this guy. Wasn't he the one that was coming to Damascus to kill us, breathing out murderous threats against us? And Jesus says, yeah, Ananias, I get it, but I have set him apart to proclaim good news to the Gentiles. And see, this hopefully will serve as a great reminder for us as well. Jesus is far less concerned with your past than the world around you is. Some of you need to hear that today. Jesus is far less concerned with your past <laughs> than the world around you is. How do I know that? Because Ananias was very concerned about Saul's past. And Jesus says, no, I've set him apart. I've set him apart as a chosen instrument. It's not my goal to trivialize Ananias because obviously Saul is a very scary dude. And he is fulfilling a very scary mission but Ananias just didn't really believe that God could use someone like Saul. But praise God, Jesus didn't see Saul as a lump of failures. Jesus does not see you as a lump of failures. He does not see you as a lost cause. Who does Jesus see when he sees you? He sees someone who is worthy of his love. 
He sees someone that he died for. He sees someone that his grace is sufficient for. Some of you have a past that you think disqualifies you from being used by God. In fact, you may have had a pastor that told you at one point in time that you were not good enough. Or you may have had a parent that one time told you that you really weren't worthy of love. And deep down, you just don't feel like God could love you. And deep down, you especially don't feel like God could use you. I want to encourage you today that if Jesus can take a murderer and use him to spread the message of the gospel to a group of people that had never heard it before and use him to write somewhere between 30 to 50 percent of the New Testament, he has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. See, it's in the beauty of salvation that we understand that first step of fulfilling our purpose. It's the key to understanding the first step of how to live a life on purpose. But I also want to tell you, because I love you, that that life is not going to be easy. Living a life on purpose for Jesus is not an easy path. In fact, you see it there on the notes in the screen on the app. God will use you, but it's going to cost you. God will use you, but it's going to cost you. What did Jesus say to Ananias? Ananias and Jesus have this interchange, and what does Jesus say in verse 16? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Jesus says, yeah, Saul's going to have to suffer. He's going to have to go through some challenges. A little bit later on in the summer, you're going to hear about some of those specific challenges and those specific moments of suffering that Saul had to go through. But the reality is, is so will you and I, because the path that Jesus has in front of us, it's not an easy path. In fact, when you seek to follow Jesus with your life, there may be some people that look down upon you as a result of that. In fact, there may be some people in the world that look at you and think that you've just completely gone bonkers. But when Jesus takes control of your life, it's going to cost you everything. Because if following Jesus hasn't cost you something or changed something in your life, if it hasn't given you an opportunity to reevaluate something in your life, then I would be somewhat concerned because it's possible that you're living for a very safe Jesus opposed to living for the Messiah. Now, I told you guys I haven't been in front of people for 13 weeks. That's a sermon for a completely different day. But a sermon that's certainly rooted here. Because Jesus says, no, it's going to cost you something, Saul, to follow me and to pursue me. But praise God, Jesus takes us through these challenges because he shows us that it's the challenges that ultimately grow us in our faith. And it's the challenges that ultimately help us to fulfill our mission. And it's the challenges that help us to realize that part of our mission is to love God and to love everyone always, to point other people to this life-giving relationship with him. It helps us to understand our purpose. And just like Ananias, he goes. And I pray that we'll be like Ananias and that we'll go and that we'll find people and that we'll search them out. What does Ananias do? He goes and he finds Saul and he places his hands on him. And what did he say to him when he placed his hands on him? He says, brother Saul. How different would this text have been if he would have placed his hands on him and said, murderer Saul? Or guy I'm afraid of Saul? Or guy that I'm not really sure God can use, but God sent me here, and so I'm trying to trust God more than I can my own fear and failures, and I'm here, but I'm really scared, and please don't kill me because I'm coming with a branch of olive branch of peace. Saul. No, what does he say? Brother Saul. Because he trusts that God can use him. Ananias was so in tune with Jesus that when Jesus asked him to go and make disciples to share the love of Christ with others, he did it. He wasn't someone who said, yeah, God, please send me to somebody that's a little less scary. Or please send me to a situation that's a little bit more comfortable. 
And my desire for us as a church, in fact, our vision as a church is to be a people of God reaching out, growing up, and giving all. No questions asked. The message is for everyone. Jesus, remind us that you love everyone always. And as a result of that, we need to love everyone always and boldly proclaim with all of our breath and with all of our days that you are Lord and that you are the only one that can make the broken things in this world right. Why is that something we should care about? Why is that part of transformation? Why is that something that should be important to me? Because see, the transformation found in Christ, it changes everything. The transformation that Saul found, it changed everything. And that transformation that you will find in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Look at verses 18 through 22. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take us as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. See, when the crowd saw what happened in Saul's life, their immediate reaction was much like Ananias' first reaction was, God, you're really using this man? But now, see, Saul is locked arms. He's locking arms with some of his arch enemies to proclaim the good news. It is only God that can do that. It is only God that could take a messed up vessel like me and call me to be a campus pastor here at Rolling Hills. It's only God that could use a broken vessel like you to lead your family. It's only God that could set you apart with all the flaws, with all of the failures, with all of the shortcomings that you have in your past and in your history. It's only God that could say, yeah, I don't hold those things against you anymore because I have a plan for you. That's not you. That's God. It's only God that can do that. Why? Because his transformation, and when I invite him into my life, that changes everything. It's only because of God. I started today by saying that our goal, not only today, but in this summer series, is to help us understand our purpose. If you don't hear anything else I say today, then understand that the primary purpose that God has for you is for you to experience his transformation. And from the inside out, for you to be a changed individual for you to no longer live for yourself and to live for the things of this world, but to live for him. And so my prayer is that you would walk with him today because it's only God that can transform us. And when he does that, we start to understand our purpose. I don't know where you are today, but I pray that God would help you see your purpose. In fact, I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And the band's going to come up and they're going to close us out with a song today. But perhaps in this song, in this time of just a few minutes of reflection, that you would be able to pray and say, God, show me your plan. Show me what your purpose is and help me to see it and help me to trust it and help me to grow in it. Because when I grow in you and when I trust you and when I give you control of everything in my life, it's then and only then that I ultimately understand why I'm here, what you have called me to, and the plan that you have for me in the future. So thank you again for meeting us in this place today. It's in the name of Christ that we pray.